looking back at the best of Saturday racing from around the country and examining the major talking points of the day. This is Past the Post, brought to you by Archer Park Racing, taking racing ownership to the next level. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Past the Post, Sunday the 15th of October, and, of course, Past the Post each and every Sunday. Brought to you with the compliments of Archer Park Racing. And go to the website, archerparkracing.com.au. Everything you need to know is there, and there's plenty of horses for sale as well. Well, yesterday was a great day of racing. Of course it was, with the Tab Everest at Royal Randwick and Caulfield Guineas Days at Caulfield, with a host of other black type and feature races. My man sitting alongside of me said... The best day of racing of the year. Yeah, we'll discuss this Allegedly. tomorrow. We will Apparently. discuss this tomorrow, David. But I reckon it was like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. They all arrived on the one day. I thought it was bloody fabulous wherever you looked. There was something for everyone. Um, you know, racing hardheads, newcomers, young, old, men, women, two states. Two states working as one, basically, mm. uh, which is what it was. The, the, the commercial broadcast of it was terrific. And there was great results, great drama everywhere and a bit of... News this morning, Amelia's Jewel uh, has not pulled up well out of the Turak. She was well beaten. This was the, you know, the high horse of Australia. So Simon Miller is centre for blood tests and her spring at the moment, as we speak, is very much on hold. It was a, a run that was out of character and I, I think, you know, most um, in, stewards inquired and Jockey said uh, travel well, just didn't let down and there was no uh, vet check uh, revealed nothing. So we are up in the air, so those reports will be significant, but uh, not the Amelia's Jewel we know yesterday, for sure and certain. Someone said that she might have been a bit flighty in the enclosure. Just might have been a, an off day for her. Yeah, perhaps, and she hasn't eaten up overnight, which uh, I'm no vet or no horse trainer, but uh, that's not a great sign. So you would think even if she did go on, I mean, I think she was going Golden Eagle anyway. Uh, after yesterday, uh, if she is all right to continue on, you wouldn't think she'd go to the Cox Plate after that. As we said, uh, a lot of feature racing, so a lot of uh, discussion this morning. Special guests coming up a little later in the program, but firstly, let's go to Royal Randwick and let's go to the Tab Everest, uh, a field of 12. Think about it was the favourite. $4.40 fixed, but in the Whirlpool, they crunched it around $2.90. Here's the replay with Darren Flindell. I wish I went back on the inside looking for room as they come around the corner now. And the leader is overpassed. Alcohol free dropped off. Cylinder comes off the fence. Think about it. Strides up. Private eye. Espiona trying to work into the clear. I wish I went running behind them. He needs room as Think About It takes the lead narrowly. Think about it from Cylinder. Private eye. I wish I win. Think about it in front from I wish I win. Think about it. Think about it, won the Everest, but I wish I win. Private Eye third, in secret, rattling home, then Cylinder from Espiona. Further back to Hawaii, Five-O, Shinzo, Wattis Notches, then Mazu, overpass, weakened out, together with Alcohol Free. Think about it, he's done it. He certainly did. Joe Pride trains him, Sam Clipperton rode him, and he's only been beaten once in a 12-start career, but his uh, finest moment there yesterday... Beating home, I wish I win. We'll talk about that a little later. Running second and private eye. What a day for Joe Pride, first and third. They ran the time of 17.64. Timers were electric all day on that uh, good, what became a good three track. Of course, the uh, track record held by Yes, Yes, Yes at 17.32 when it won at Everest. But a horse who doesn't win by big margins, uh, everyone acknowledges that, but just wins. Couldn't have put it better myself. He is just an absolute winner. Got, um, I suppose, a peach of a run from 
the barrier, <clears throat> which no doubt helped. I wish I win. You could argue I wish I win was unlucky, and there was a lot of post-race talk about drawing barrier one, and that was a hindrance. But I suppose the other way to look at that is if that horse had have drawn wide, the way the truck was sort of playing there, yes, they would have had to go back to last. So it would have been further back than he was, and yes, probably would have got to the outside and unleashed a run. But would he have necessarily been advantaged by drawing wide? Oh, I'm not sure. I think... Initially, when you just watched the race first go, um, I think the general thought was was uh, unlucky and, and did barrier one cause it. When you watch the replay, you actually watch the the, um, the, the drone shot and then watch the stewards replay, tactically what happens is Cylinder, Zach Lloyd running Cylinder, is able to get in behind overpass, which puts I wish I win three back rather than behind the leader. But as well... Between the 400 and the 200, when Think About It was building up his revs, full momentum, private eye as well, he's just sitting there waiting for a run. So that 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 was was probably crucial, I think, to possibly the outcome. But then he gets out of the 200. It's not like he got out at the 100 and flew. He got out at the 200 and ground away strongly. But you've got to remember, you know, even if he'd had a, a perfect run and got out of the 300, Who's to say he would have run down Think About it, who just seems to find another gear when, when, when challenged? Yeah, he, he's a, <clears throat> as you said, Dave, he's just a winner. And look, I think everything pretty much had its chance to, to beat him. I, I tell you, the, I thought the unlucky run of the race actually was Hawaii 5-0, who finished six and was beaten more than two lengths. But if you watch the start of the race, um, he drew barrier 10, and James McDonald has gone forward, 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 tried to find a spot just couldn't find a spot and had to pull back, pull back, pull back. And that uh, Colt finished really nicely. I think the barrier definitely cost it. I, I reckon I know the margin was two and a quarter lengths, but I think if Hawaii 5-0 draws well, uh, it really could could have challenged. Think about it, as we saw the previous run. I mean, nearly ran down, think about it, uh, in the lead-up run. So, look, that's a pretty impressive Colt who's getting better. And obviously, we saw a bit of him and think about it, for that matter, up here in the, the winter card. I think we should claim... Think about it as a Queenslander. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, exactly right. Um, winning that strap broke. But, yeah, think about it. There's very little to say about this horse because he just wins. Uh, I wish I would have discussed it. Private eyes run was outstanding. He was three wide, no cover. When you're running 1-7 and change, to battle on so strongly, which just shows how good a horse he is as well. Uh, and in secrets run was fantastic. She's one I didn't like in the race, but obviously had a prime for the occasion. She had to give them a start off a wide barrier, near enough to the outside gate, or the outside gate, and she zoomed to the line. Cylinder, good, but every chance. So I think most of them had their chance, but uh, the best horse won the race. Uh, think about it. Now, apparently, um, uh, he'll go to the, the giga kick. Yeah, uh, it looks that way. And, look, I think whatever race he runs in, he's just going to be competitive, isn't he? He just, I mean, he's forgotten. I think this is the horse who has forgotten how to lose. He just simply does not know how to lose. He doesn't necessarily win win by big margins, but just gets a job done. And for Joe Pride, who had quite a few Everest near misses, didn't he, including with Private Eye last year, obviously had the Grand Warrior Eduardo going around year after year as well. Uh, This was a special moment. And he just took it all in, didn't he? He wasn't sort of overwhelmed with emotion. He just stood back and took it all in. I think he thought it was going to happen. Have you forgotten how to lose? <laughs> so all you do is win these days. No, I know how to lose very well, David. I'm very familiar with it. By your own admission. As we alluded to uh, with the World Pool, nearly $3 million invested as far as um, uh, the wind pool was concerned. And the Quinella, the, the place, the duet, almost $2 million as well. Now, I think... Uh, 
do we have uh, I'm trying to we'll just work out who 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 we're going to get uh, we're just having a few difficulties we've got we've got our special guest up already uh, we could have done a better introduction than this we're sort of flying on the wing but I was trying to make it a grandiose uh, introduction but Peter Valandis is there with us right now Peter good morning good morning David how are you very well I think tired but, go tired, on. but very well yeah, yeah, I'm sure you are. Uh, I think there's a lot to talk about, and, and we do appreciate your time. Two things or two areas we'll discuss. We'll discuss the race itself, then we'll discuss the day. But with the race, I think the winning trainer, Joe Pride, and the winning horse, think about it, gave the race the ultimate compliment. Joe Pride said, this horse won a Stradbroke handicap. Now, you know, tough 1,400 metres. So if there was no Everest, think about it could be a 1,400-metre horse, maybe even extend out to a mile during the spring. But the fact that the race was there, the Everest, he's trained this horse to be a 1,200-metre horse. So this race is is clearly a big target, a huge target. Now, and, and Joe Pride basically said that yesterday. No, it definitely is. It's, well, it's the highest-rated sprint race in the world, um, and it always attracts the best sprinters uh, anywhere. And the beauty of it is, is that Australia is so dominant in the sprinting that there are really no international horses that can compete against us. Uh, the ones that have come over from England uh, have, you know, run last and second last, and they were the best there. And when we go over to Ascot uh, with our sprinters, we win there too. So um, that's why the Everest is so good because in Australia we are dominant in the sprinting ranks. That's what our stallions are. Um, and that's what we dominate the world in. And so the Everest um, makes that race available for, for the best of the best. Peter, this is your crown and glory, really, this this uh, day in, in more ways than one. But just give us an insight into what it was like to be there yesterday with Sweet Caroline blasting out. We all saw the images on, on TV. It just looked exhilarating. Did it have that feel being there? Oh, absolutely. I've, never been, I've been to many sporting events right around the world. Um, you know, it, including rugby league events, racing, soccer, you name them. And I've never seen atmosphere like that. It's just, it's extraordinary. It's just developed its own charismatic presence. Um, and when you hear them all singing Sweet Caroline, but the, what's really amazing to me is the young audience. There, You know, the majority of the audience is under 35. It's probably 75%. 50% are women, which is very unusual for racing. Um, it, the, the Everest is just a new generational race that's attracting a new audience, and that's that's the highlight to me. So there was a crowd of almost 47,000 there yesterday, which is, I think, about as many as you can get in. Tell us about the plans potentially for future years, like maybe opening the infield. Is there things you can do there? I know you were inspired by going over to the, the Kentucky Derby and seeing what they do. So you know, give us a bit of an insight into, into future years, how we're going to expand. Well, you're right. We can't get any more in. We were at capacity. I've never seen the crowd go on, you know, they were near Allison Road, um, stretched out. Normally, you know, thins out in the members, but it didn't. Uh, it was uh, all the length of the straight, basically. So, look, our, 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 there's two options. We can either extend the wink stand, which we're looking at doing, putting, putting another two floors on. When we built the wink stand, we made sure the foundations were sufficient to have more floors in the future. But the reason we went to the Kentucky Derby was to look at how they do the infield. And we had a good look at it yesterday. And I'm certain that we'll be doing a very big promotion in the infield next year. Funny, isn't it? You're old enough to remember in the old days, um, the infield was used at many metropolitan tracks. And it was actually like the cheapest version to get to the races. It was called the flat. And the 
at Randwick that the flat was there, I think, up till about the late 60s, early 70s. Had a cornfield as well, Eagle Farm. Just before we leave Sweet Caroline, just tell our listeners, and actually tell me too, because I'm not quite sure, how did this all start, the Sweet Caroline thing? Well, Sweet Caroline was... Um it was after, the, after COVID, basically, and it was the first Everest. And I think Sweet Caroline became a little bit of a song for, you know, when things opened up after COVID. And it was actually the ATC that came up with uh, with that promotion, and it's just stuck with the Everest. It's it's become its signature uh, song, and um, everyone now relates to the Everest with Sweet Caroline, which is great. It's a, it's a great sing-along song. And, and I think I've said this to you before, it's not just Royal Ramwick that experiences the atmosphere. It has the best atmosphere because it's got the biggest crowd. But all of these other clubs around Australia feed off you. I was, at, I was broadcasting at Eagle Farm and Sweet Caroline was on at the same time as, as, as your Sweet Caroline was. And the noise of the crowd at Eagle Farm was absolutely thunderous. So Everest Day is actually helping other clubs around Australia as well. And none more so than the Melbourne Racing Club. Oh, absolutely. And the Melbourne Racing Club were very smart commercially because rather than seeing the Everest Day as a threat, they saw it as an opportunity. And um, and look, their, their turnovers on some of their races was actually declining. And since the Everest, they've actually had massive uplift. So they've taken advantage of it, you know. And the beauty is, is the spotlights on racing nationally um, because of the Everest. And, you know, other clubs do benefit. But the, the one thing yesterday, we had the world pool and uh, I got a text from the Hong Kong Jockey Club to tell me it was the Everest was the highest turnover race ever in Hong Kong. So Australian race. So, but, so that was another record that was broken yesterday. And doesn't it help too, Peter, having the one commercial broadcaster... Um, you know, because of your, your work there with the Melbourne Racing Club and your cooperation with them, everything's on the one commercial broadcaster. So they can, Channel 7, if they're showing... I saw at one point Hamish McLaughlin uh, was interviewing one of the Lindsay Park trainers and asking him about Mr Brightside later in the day in Sydney. So everyone wins, don't they, when it's all, all there in front of you on the one commercial network? Absolutely. And that's why it surprises us that they're looking at different networks for the... Uh, Melbourne Cup Spring Carnival because it, it, it works if you do it right and we did it right yesterday and we proved it. But when I started in racing, when I started following racing as a kid, I can remember being on the radio and it was all three states, you know, Brisbane, New South Wales and Victoria and that's how it was promoted. Um, and I think we need to get back to those days where we can promote three big race meetings or three big cards um, uh, on, and on free-to-air television. Your new race, or, or renamed race, the King Charles the Third Stakes. A, how do you how do you think that uh, went yesterday? And B, if you're a betting man, what chance of actually getting the great King Charles to this race day next year? Do you think? Uh, look, it went better than expected. The King Charles. I think it's it's going to be a race of the future. <clears throat> um, and look, when we met with uh, King Charles last year, or this year, sorry. Um, we indicated to him when he'd like to come out. And he said, look, you wouldn't believe it. He said, I'm actually out in the Pacific next year. And if if my schedule allows, we'll certainly make Randwick one of, as part of the visit because he'd love to. And he, look, he loves Australia and he wants to come back to Australia as quickly as possible. Look, I had a phone call from his representative straight after the King Charles race. And they were very, very happy with uh, the recognition we've given him and, and the race itself. The, the Everest itself is in robust health, and it comes through two ways. It's uh, the participation with the horses, so we get the best we get the best sprinting field every year. That's now a given. But also it's in robust health because of 
the participation of the slot holders. Now, the question I put to you is, uh, we've got our present slot holders, they do some deals within the, in their own slot. Have you got people knocking at the door wanting to get a slot and, and you've got a, you're saying that there's none at the moment or you, you just have to wait? No, we are getting uh, inquiries all the time. Uh, we're bombarded with people wanting a slot, especially the ones that have got a horse that or syndicates. Uh, and there's studs. There's um, look. The slot started at six hundred thousand. We when we increased the prize money to twenty million, the slot owners contributed a hundred thousand, so they were now contributing seven hundred thousand. But there's some slots that are being sold for a million dollars. Mm. So. We always made it a tradable commodity, uh, the slot. We wanted to um, have people buy and sell, and, and, and that's what's happened. A lot of the slot owners do sell their slot, and as I said, I think the maximum we've got so far is a million, but it's certainly more than the 700 they're paying. And at Racing New South Wales, when someone gives us loyalty, we give it back in spades. And when the slot owners took the risk with us in the initial Everest, we said, look, because you're taking the risk, we're going to give you a lifetime option. And all of them, except one who unfortunately we had to revoke the slot, um, is still in it. So it's it's just continued on um, the, with the original slot owners, or the majority of the original slot owners. And and they pay, uh, or they indicate that they're going to renew the option two years before the race. So And that, and that keeps the, the race uh, security. I suppose the follow-up question to that is then, with such demand, which you've just outlined... Would you ever consider increasing the field to 14? No. No, look, we said we, we would go with 12 with the slot owners and we've kept, we've kept to that. Look, we, look, we're entitled to do whatever we want um, with the slots, but once we said that it was only going to be 12, we, um, we've continued just with the 12. Last one from me, Peter, and thanks for coming on this morning. Take us inside your world a little bit. I mean, you, you, if you're not the busiest man in Australia, gee whiz, you must be close juggling the, 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 the rugby league side of your life and the horse racing side of your life. How many hours sleep do you get a night? Do you, do you, do you, how do you juggle the two? And are there times where you just go, wow, oh, I'm just so tired? Or, or do these sports both energise you in different ways? I think it's a bit of everything, Ben. Um, I, I think sometimes I, I get up and think to myself, what, why the hell am I doing this? <laughs> um, and other times I really enjoy it. Yesterday was a bit of a clash because we had the Everest and we had the test match up at um, Townsville, uh, which I couldn't get to. Um, but, look, the way I fit it in is there's peaks and troughs. That in, when there's you know a lot to do, I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and work through until I have to go to work um, till about 730 and that's how I fit it in is, is I have to time manage. Either I stay back very late or I get up very early. I find the best time to do work, in my view, is to get up very early because you don't get disturbed. You can do a lot of reading. You can really concentrate. And, and so that's how I fit it in because I don't want to disturb my family life. I don't want to uh, you know, interfere with that by not giving them the, the sufficient time. So that's why uh, when everyone else is asleep, I wake up and that's the best time to do work. We do appreciate your time. The party's not over yet, though, because now we go to the Golden Eagle. And you'd remember from our, our old trotting days, uh, harness racing used to really respect the four-year-old. We'd have, you know, two, three and four-year-old breeders races and there'd be special four-year-old races. Thoroughbreds didn't take it on as much, but you have with the Golden Eagle. and It's, it's, it's been a wonderful uh, innovation, uh, now establishing itself firmly as well. Look, that, that idea came from the Chariots of Fire. When I was in harness racing... I went around to all the trainers, um, you know, A.D. Turnbull uh, and, and Brian Hancock and all those uh, 
trainers at the time, and I said, look, when is a horse at its peak? And they they said, look, it, it really, the horse is at its peak at four. So if you want to get the horse at its best, that's when you should do it. So I developed the race, uh, the Chariots of Fire and Harness Racing, because of, we wanted a, a four-year-old event. And when I when the opportunity arose, I went and saw Bart Cummings and a few others, and I indicated to them with a four-year-old event, and they said, absolutely. And um, that's how the Golden Eagle got developed. You know, we're trying to get the horse at where it's at its peak. Also, to keep the horses uh, in work, if you if you've got big prize money, they may not go as to the stud as early as what they have, and and that's happened. There's a couple of you know horses that have remained in work rather than becoming stallions, because the pup the punters become aware of a horse. That's our um, tribalism to a degree that they follow a horse, and then if it drops out as a four-year-old because it goes to stud or goes elsewhere. Well, you lose that branding and that tribalism. So uh, the more we can do to keep the horses actually in work, the better. And that's why the Golden Eagle um, was developed, given you know, an incentive with r- uh, substantial prize money um, to keep them um, racing. The options you're offering, it's not just for New South Wales horses, it's for Australian horses. And uh, the options are there and, and the prize money is there to boot. So it's a, it's a good world we're living in with racing at the moment. Again, appreciate your time. We've discussed a lot, a lot of insight there, and good luck on Golden Eagle Day. Congratulations on yesterday to you, your staff, and to, to everyone involved, because it, again, was a great day. Thanks, fellas. Much appreciated. Peter Volandi's joining us this morning as our special guest here on Past the Post, and a lot of interesting comments there, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got no idea. I, I, I'll put my hand up here. I, I admire Peter greatly. I, I know in some sections he, he's got his detractors. A lot of Victorians don't like him. Um but you know what? When he says he's going to do something, he does it. To do what he is doing in rugby league, which is, I mean, that is a, you know, a fourteen-hour a day job as it is. I mean, think of all the uh, dramas that rugby leagues had this year: pay wars and, and players getting arrested and dramas everywhere. I mean, imagine dealing with that, and then on top of that, doing everything he does with racing. I, I, that's why I ask him. I've got no idea how he fits it all in. I really don't. He must be a superb time manager. I mean, I struggle. I've got one job, and I struggle to do it, managing a couple of kids at home. I mean, like, gee whiz. You know, I think the day he leaves racing, I think we'll say that was an amazing contribution he made to racing. Yeah, he, for those who are listening this morning who remember his time in, in harness racing when he was the chief executive at the New South Wales Harness Racing Club, Harold Park, he brought it out of the doldrums, and I think we, we saw then, not that we would to know where he was going to land or where he is now, but he did some promotions there, like, uh, again, getting young people. It was I think it was called a 10 for 30 promotion. So you'd pay 10 bucks, you get $30 worth of value as far as food and, and, and beverages were concerned. And it got the young people in on a Friday night. Imagine getting young people to Harold Park. They'd go there, and off they go into town or wherever. Uh, that was a great innovation. You just mentioned the Chariots of Fire, and I, I'd forgotten that, that... that he was the one who was was behind it, but he then had to take the big step from th- from the harness racing world to thoroughbred world. Different ball game, tougher ball game, and he's handled it impressively. Look, the, one of his successes, people don't like him. You know why? Because he says what he thinks. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and there's too little of that. Uh, and, and David, the know. other thing I think, and then we'll move on to, to have a look at some of the other races yesterday. I think I firmly believe racing spends too much time talking to itself. But by that I mean. Um, preaching to the converted like people like you and i we're always going to have a bet aren't we it's not the people like you and i that racing has to attract because we're already there and peter's seen that and if you don't attract the 18 20 22 year old 24 year old 
people like you and I die off. In fact, in my case, the way I'm going could be very soon. Uh, and then what are you left with? So terrific stuff. I thought it was a great Everest worthy winner. The whole day was great. And the race clock I thought was terrific for both Melbourne and Sydney. There was great lead in time for all the big races. Everyone had their moment in the sun. I thought yeah. it worked beautifully. Everyone got the chance to shine. Well, of course, another innovation is the Kosciuszko. This is the uh, the big one for the country spreaders. Let's go to the replay. Opal Ridge first up into the Kosciuszko. She was the $2.80 favourite. Into the straight now, and front page in front from Kimberly Secret. Now Opal Ridge is falling away. She's trying to get into the race, but front page is giving a tremendous kick. Front page got five lengths clear. Opal Ridge, it's a bridge too far by the looks of it. Then far too easy, and front page Tyler Schiller go back to back in the Kosciuszko. Opal Ridge second, far too easy third, then Cavalier Charles. Further back then to I've been trying our last cash late from Kimberly Secrets, Derry Grove, Akasawa, then Sizzle Manizzle, Mogo Magic, Nemeth, Bianco Bellano, Broken Hill. This is a very special moment for Tyler Schiller. He's now equal first in the Sydney Riders Premiership. And back-to-back wins on the Kosciuszko riding front page last year. But, of course, last year, Jeff Duray was the trainer. He's retired. Matt Dale has taken the reins and... What a wonderful moment for the Goulburn trainer to win with Front Page. This is a horse who's obviously uh, has issues. In fact, he actually pulled up three out of five lame in the off four after the race. So he's had his share of physical issues, and that's evidenced by his CV. He's only had, he's a seven-year-old. He's only had 20 starts, but he's won seven of them, and two of them have been Kosciuszko uh, races. So uh, the bulk of his prize, money, $2.5 million, has come out of the two Kosciuszko wins. And honestly, on a day that probably assisted leaders with, with such a, a you know a, a f- firm trick, I was going to say, but, but uh, they ran really fast time. So when you're running 1.8.04, that's what front page ran. It's going to be bloody difficult to run him down. Yeah, I thought Tyler Sheila had an absolutely brilliant day in the saddle. He showed real intent on this guy straight out of the barriers and basically had the race and he's keeping 200 out and I think waved his whip 75 metres out. It was a terrific ride, but even better was his ride, I think, on Land Legend, the, the James Ferguson import in the St. Ledger earlier in the day, uh, well-backed, and there was, wasn't much pace in the race up front, so he circled the field and went to the front and, and held on. He's a terrific jockey. We use the word underrated a bit, but I think that's probably what it, what he is. He can certainly cut his own in any jockey's room in the country, Tyler Schiller. Opal Ridge, good in second. Far too easy, a more than honourable mention for David McCain and the team running third. Jimmy Orman didn't have much, uh, many options. He had to ease him back. And again, on a day where if you made ground, your run was good, like he would have delivered a great sectional in running third. And, and whilst front page has earned the bulk of his prize money through the Kosciuszko, uh, far too easy in his past two Kosciuszko runs. Of course, he was placed last year, second, third yesterday. 600 Ks jumped in without winning a race. Yeah, the barrier just killed that horse a bit. I suspect if it had drawn a, a bit softer, it might have been able to posse up a bit closer. Would it have beaten the winner? Maybe not. But from where he was in the run, just had absolutely no hope. And um, to, to go within a couple of lengths was a great effort. Ben mentioned the King Charles III with Peter Volandis. Let's go to the race itself. And Mr Brightside was the favourite.
Into the straight, Radina in front from Golden Mile. Myobron moves up boldly on the outside. Now, Mr. Brightside and Fangirl. Here they come. Fangirl moved up. Fangirl takes the lead from Mr. Brightside. He's got a job to get there. The mayor's going great guns. Fangirl. Look at her go. Fangirl. A big win in the King Charles III. Beat Mr. Brightside and Myobron. I think Nugget fourth. Then Kovalika further back to think it over. Hope in your heart. Buck light infantry man, Radina Golden Mile, what they reckon to tissue. Yes, fangirl, James Mack riding, uh, given a perfect run. When she got that gap with Mr Brightside, I thought, well, this is going to be a tussle. In the end, it wasn't. She she fairly and squarely outpointed the uh, the Victoria. Yeah, she was slow away too. If you watch the start, I sort of thought her chances might have gone up in smoke, but he was able to drive her through on the inside and get the gap. Uh, when she needed it. And interestingly, Chris Waller uh, said post-race that as soon as that race was earmarked, the, the new King Charles race, um, many months ago, I think it was five or six months ago, uh, he said to, to one of the owners straight away, Fangirl will win this race, which was a bold call, I guess, at the time. But uh, she did the business. Just goes to show, doesn't it, what a dry, firm, fast track can, can do for, mm. for a girl like that. I mean, she's she's been... You know, at times in her career, she struck wet tracks, which she absolutely hates. One of the runs I thought of that race was Kovalika, the fastest last 600. You know, I'm a time man, David. I thought that set that horse up beautifully for a Cox Plate tilt. What does it say, dare I bring this up, uh, Melbourne versus Sydney. Mr Brideside's been dominant in Melbourne. He goes to Sydney yesterday and a bit of work early, but by and large had a good run. Fangirl clearly outpointed him. Uh, are the the Melbourne Group ones weaker than the Sydney Group ones? Well, it's a weird conversation, isn't it? Because you you, you look back and Mr. Brightside pulled down Alligator's pla- Alligator Blood's pants twice in mm. Group ones. Admittedly, you know Alligator Blood was you know uh, probably you know the other horse had a fitness edge, but then we see Mr. Brightside go to Sydney. I thought he was pretty plain yesterday. Uh, but then Alligator Blood, which we'll talk about later, come out and, and produce arguably the run of his life. I, I thought they arguably his best win. So, yeah, I, I'm not too sure. But, look, I mean, Mr Brights, it's just it's hard to be critical of him, isn't it? He is a superstar. Whether he just was flat for, for some reason, maybe maybe just Sydney even. I know he's you know, won Doncasters and whatever. But, um, yeah, oh, I don't know what I'm trying to say, David, but it is an interesting talking point, isn't it? She's a very good mare, Fangirl. We must remember, of course, she missed out by a lip to my wish I win in the, the Golden Eagle last year. But yesterday, the day was hers, and with that prize money, she went into the race as a $4 million earner. She came out of it as a $7.1 million earner. And she may well go to the to the Cox Plate in a fortnight's time. Uh, distance, and I think even Chris Wallach concedes it's something he has to consider or, or be concerned about. But uh, the fact that you know she beat Mr. Brightside fairly and squarely, it's a, it's a good rap, you know, for for a next a next time out, the next start out. Yeah, she can't win the Cox Plate, David. But anyway, good luck. Well, well can she win a Cox Plate? Well, no. I'm, not, I'm not saying she can't. I'm not saying she can't. Well, can Mr. Brightside win a Cox? Obviously, he no. Can't I don't. Win do, I don't think Mr. Brightside can win a Cox Plate. I think the Cox Plate horse out of that race is, as I mentioned before, Kovalika, who. Um, was terrific, uh, obviously, the, the the start before in an Epsom and uh, was never in contention yesterday from the wide gate, but charged home late. Um, over 1,600, I think it sets him up beautifully for a Cox Plate tilt. Let's go to the Sydney Stakes, the Group 3 race, which is run prior to the Everest, and the favourite here was 
I haven't got it on my sheet. Let's just Who's the winner? I am me. I am me. Okay, here it is. Down the turn and Cole Crusher in front from IME. Airman uh, being pushed along now on the outside. Valana looking to come off heels, doing that now. Inside the 250, IME put the head in front from Cole Crusher. Airman trying to get the pair. It's IME in front. Airman is lifting the outside. IME a half in front to Airman, who's running out of time. And IME strong to the wire. IME fended off Airman to win it. Photo third, Bella Nipatina probably just in front of Cole Crusher. Then came Valana from rocketing by and rattling home on the inside there was Inver Park uh, and uh, it's our time was hitting the line well then Inver Park Shelby 66 Art Cadeau Grey Worm Jojo as a man got a bad check early from King of Sparta and Zapateo I am me big day for Mara and Eustace we'll talk more about them later in the program but she's now won nine from 16 uh, on speed all the way J-Mac riding strong to the line airman racing terrifically um, you know, fought it out with IME, but IME a little too good. And Bella Nipotina's run was outstanding, considering she drew an awful gate. And again, one of the few that made good ground on that uh, good three track. Her sectionals would have been unbelievable. She's a she's a wonderful mare, Bella Nipotina. You look at all of her placings. Uh, I think she's run 19 minor placings, and she's earned $4 million. But if she could strike a wet track somewhere, she'd be mighty hard to beat. But doesn't really matter. But her, her run was terrific yesterday. Uh, 1.857 the time, home in 33.07. Yeah, for me, the disappointment of that race was Valana. He's the first up weapon. That horse got a beautiful run in uh, transit from Zach Lloyd, and I thought, how far this thing? And just uh, there was no go button when he asked for it. The dress rehearsal for the Golden Eagle, I suppose, is the Silver Eagle. That's the next race we're going to have a listen to. Let's go to the replay. Yellow Brick comes up the rise, but Sacred Satano went to it quickly, and Sacred Satano hits the lead. Down the outside, Vienna Princess, Pericles. Ruthless Dames getting a rails run. Vienna Princess moved up on the outside of Pericles. Vetadena's running on. Vienna Princess, Pericles slogging it out, and Vienna Princess adults. Vienna Princess runs away. Storming home straight. Asa got up for second in front of Pericles. Photo for fourth between... Benedetta wide out, Ruthless Dame on the fence, Williamsburg flashing home, then Rosita coin toss, Sacred Satono, further back New Endeavour, Grabini, Kaboo, Yellow Brick was second last, Cote finished right out the back. Vienna Princess, good day for Chris Waller, which uh, happens regularly, and she was strong to the line with Karen McAvoy riding. Yeah, big step up in class for her too, um, and subsequently she went out at $15, but... Uh, she's got back to her best. Clearly, it was an interesting old race, wasn't it? I mean, what was Craig Williams doing on Yellow Brick? I know that horse got beaten out of sight, but I think Craig Williams thought he was actually in the Everest on Yellow yeah. Brick. The, the early sectionals that he ran on Yellow Brick were actually faster than Overpass ran in the actual Everest. I thought it was crazy. Stewart spoke with him about the ride, and he explained that he was caught wide. And just to go back to the start... Caught he, wide? Yeah, barrier five. Well, he was caught wide. Right? He, yeah. was, he, was three, he was three wide, but that, that can happen. Anyway, the intention was to ride with cover, so that, that was established. He was caught three wide, so there's two options. You either sit there or go forward. He went forward and probably did go too fast, uh, but also a contributing factor, uh, a subsequent vet check found the horse to be coughing, so there could have been uh, a physical issue there as well. Yeah, I spoke to Matty Sears uh, this morning. Of course, we're talking about yellow brick because... Uh, well, A was $4.80 in that market, and B, um, you know, a Queensland horse with eyes on the Golden Eagle. She said, look, uh, at this stage the horse has pulled up fine. Um, we'll continue to monitor him, um, but at this stage they'll still try and press on towards the Golden Eagle. But 
or got beaten over 10 lengths yesterday and despite all the excuses, which are legitimate ones, um, has many lengths to find, you've got to suggest, to be competitive in that Golden Eagle. 100%. Just one story about Vienna Princess. Remember I told you about a backstar patrol and a maiden of Dooman at threes on and mm. got beaten? Vienna Princess, Doombin, September 14, 2022. See, I'm a race caller. I remember these things. Uh, I backed it on a maiden at Doombin, Vienna Princess, who won the Silver Eagle yesterday. Fourth. <laughs> Each way, fourth. So you, they can improve. You don't seem to be having much luck. Oh, look, I, I'll reinforce what I said on air last year. I, I, sorry, last week. I'm going pretty good. Like, if you want a loan, um, we can uh, interest rates somewhere between 20 and 25%. Happy happy to help if you, if you want uh, some help. I'm, I'm more than happy to take up your offer. Now, look, the, the producer's under pressure this morning. He's had a bit of a rough start. He's smiling there. Uh, he won't be smiling when we come off here. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we we need to move on. So I want to go, Producer Dale, to race one at Royal Randwick yesterday. You've comprehended that? Let's have a listen to the replay. Into the straight, Land Legend on the inside of Cleveland, knuckling out a great finish at the 300, two lengths away to Benno. Land Legend and Cleveland, head and head they go inside the final furlong. There's still nothing in this. Land Legend and Cleveland clear from Carlapore. Land Legend's kicking now. Tyler Schiller's taken control and Land Legend will land good bets to win the St. Ledger Stakes, beating Cleveland and Carlapore. Torrens fourth. Then came Benno, further back to Atlandos, Raging Bull, True Marvel, Major Bill, Apache Bill. Has that got you in the mood for Everest Day? Yeah, I think Darren summed it up because it was uh, a real duel until, you know, probably the last 50 metres with Land Legend and Cleveland. They were the, the two big guns of the betting. And as Darren also pointed out, Land Legend was well backed, I think, 5.50 in the morning, SP at 4.40. And as you said earlier, an intelligent ride by Tyler Schiller. And obviously, it's, it's lovely when a jockey knows what he's got underneath him. He made that move, he was happy to make that move, and then he was happy to keep rolling strongly, and Land Legend did the rest. Yeah, superb ride, um, and clearly that horse had lengths on them. Doesn't say, I know these weren't the top-level Aussie stars, but probably doesn't say much for the, for the Aussies, does it? I mean, this guy's just turned up and just gone whooshka and won by almost three lengths. He could have gone into a Class 1 in Australia. He's only won the one race. Uh, James Ferguson brought him here, targeted that race. Where he goes next remains to be seen. There were other races as well, but time is on the wing. Let's take a break here on Pass the Post. Thanks for your company this morning. Back in a moment to profile Caulfield Guineas Day at Caulfield. Looking back at the best of Saturday racing from around the country and examining the major talking points of the day, this is Pass the Post. Brought to you by Archer Park Racing. Taking racing ownership to the next level. Welcome back to Pass the Post. Three Group 1s at Caulfield yesterday. Let's go to the might and power over the 2,000 metres. And Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott played a strong hand here. They had the favourite just fine at 310 and the second favourite, Alligator Blood at 340. 700 metres to go. It's Deny Knowledge starting to paddle now. Five lengths in front of Alligator Blood. Make it four. Then came Just Fine, who sold up from Linderman. Two lengths to He's a Shocker, non-conformist. Then Bow and Declare a long way back with Alan Kerr. Forgot you and Dewis is last. Deny Knowledge with Alligator Blood now breathing down her neck and around the corner. Alligator Blood went to the front from Deny Knowledge, who's gone. Then Linderman, Just Fine, Bow and Declare and Dewis back on the 
inside. Alligator Blood, 200 metres to go. Four legs in front of Jewess Bow and Declare running a race. And then Nonconformist. But it is all Alligator Blood, a seventh group one coming up. And Alligator Blood wins it by two legs. What a run, Bow and Declare. Jewess third, then Nonconformist. Alan Kerr, deny knowledge. He's a shocker. Lindemann forgot you. And last was just fine. I think Bruce Bankavani summed it up well on Channel 7 yesterday when he described Alligator Blood as one of the heavyweights of the racing industry. And as Matt Hill said in the broadcast there, it was his seventh Group 1 win. Very proud Jeff Simpson joins us this morning. Jeff, good morning. Congratulations. Uh, thanks, David. Yes, it was a great thrill. It's great to be on here. Yeah. Were you, were you at the races yesterday? I def- we definitely were. My wife was with me and... Even Alan Andrews was there in the crowd. Good to, good to hear. I'm sure he was very, very happy. And um, Jerry Harvey would have been happy as well. Gee, I remember interviewing you, I think, about three years ago. It was just before COVID. There's been a, it's been a long story with Alligator Blood, but uh, this is just a... It's been, it's been a, a bumpy ride on occasions, but at the moment, you're just enjoying the racing and the results are coming thick and fast. Oh, look, he's taken us on a wonderful journey, David. And, you know, you can't put enough praise on um, the Gatton University with Ben Ahern, the operation that he had on his back was the real turnaround for the horse. And we took our time to bring him back and uh, it paid, it's paying dividends. So, yeah, he doesn't have any problems with his back at all now, thanks to them. Quite amazing, uh, Jeff. Uh, congratulations. Uh, as an owner, you'd be happy to win a Class 1 or a you know Group 3 or any sort of race, but to win seven Group 1s, and you've been in the ownership of this guy from the start, is just extraordinary. Can I ask you, do you think this was his uh, greatest Group 1 win? Just given there were, and I'll put my hand up here, I was uh, to some extent in this category, there were some doubts about him over 2,000 metres. Do you think this was his finest moment? Look, it's um, it's proven that he can get, do the 2,000 metres. Um, we were always sort of confident from last year that he could get to the 2,000 metres with the right run in a race. All we needed to do, like last year, he had those two runs. We, we drew pretty badly. Uh, you know, things didn't run to plan in the in the running, and we were sort of confident. With the with the right barrier that he he would be able to see the two thousand out no problems at all and he he uh, proved that yesterday and hopefully we can go on with an upwards and be in the Cox Plate in two weeks. Well, I suppose with those two two thousand metre runs he'd had previously, one was on a heavy eight track which probably he wasn't at his best at behind Animo if you don't mind in the Cox Plate. And the other one he was only beaten a couple of lengths by Animo as well. So. Uh, I suppose, uh, I mean, there was no animo there yesterday, was there? No, that's right, there wasn't. But, you know, he can only do what he can do. And, he, I mean, he dragged the, the rest of the field into the race when when, the, uh, when it had to be done. And he did it pretty easily. Like, when he, he showed that great turn of foot on the corner, and I was pretty confident from there, and so was everyone else. Just going, or just uh, extending that theme of being a heavyweight, let's just chart his CV so far and... I'm sure you, you'll be bursting with pride when I mention this. As a three-year-old, he won the Group 1 Australian Guineas. Of course, was beaten the lip in the Caulfield Guineas. He, he pleased us as a five-year-old, but he won the Stradbroke. And then and under the care of Gay and Adrian. And since then, two underwards, a Champions Mile, a Futurity and the Might and Power yesterday. 
That's a, a, a seven Group Ones. And just to put it in perspective, Jeff, Nature Strips yeah. won nine, Very Elegance won eleven, and the story ain't over for Alligator Blood yet. So he's getting up there, you know, up high as far as Group One wins are concerned. Exactly. Yes, and I mean, it's hard to put a finger on on which one's been his best because he just keeps lifting all the time. You know, yesterday was another level again. He, uh, you know, he 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 did the two thousand metres and he looks as though he's and he's pulled up fantastic. We got a report this morning. There's no problems. He, he ate up and yeah, he's doing really good. And I guess one of the keys to him, uh, what we're seeing now, too, Jeff, is. Now Gay Wardhouse and Adrian Bott have, have been able to have him for extra time, haven't they? I mean, they've had him for a couple of years now. They're really on top of him as opposed to, you know, they got him in a, a pretty hurriedly and, and they, I remember talking to Gay early days. She, she didn't know really what she was getting with alligator blood, but they've just had that extra time to make him sing. Yes, yes. Look, um, it's taken them uh, a little while to, to work him out, but they've got, the, got to the bottom of him now and... He thrives on their regime. They've done a, a magnificent job, really, with him to get him right to where he is now. But he'll be... Uh, I'm sure that they'll have him peaking for the Cox Plate, so that's what we're looking forward to. To you and Robert, congratulations. Uh, as we said, the ride's not over yet, and uh, we, hopefully we might speak to you after the Cox Plate if you can win it. Yes, it'll be great. Fantastic. But, I, you know, as far as... the Robin and I are concerned he's still a Queenslander <laughs> and we're very proud that he yeah, he's done what he's done. Good on you, mate. Thanks for being with us this morning. Thanks, David. See you, Ben. There he is, Jeff Simpson, part owner of Alligator Blood. And again, it, it adds weight to the Stradbroke, doesn't it? He won the Stradbroke in 22, still flying high at Group 1 level. Think about him on the Stradbroke this year, flying high. So it's given the Stradbroke a bit of uh, renewed zest. But uh, I thought this was a, a, a great ride by Tim Clark too. Let's mention... Uh, he was in the position where that horse denied knowledge was a long way in front. Uh, he just had to, to to play the waiting game. I think I agree with you that 2,000 metres was a legitimate question. So he just waited, waited, waited before he pulled the trigger and he had plenty of horse underneath him. Yeah, interesting cox plate market now, David. Uh, just looking at the tab now. Romantic Warrior, who I couldn't back with stolen money, uh, $4.50. Alligator Blood now on the second line of betting with Gold Trip at $7. And then a horse called Victoria Road, at $8, I could tell you if Victoria Road wins the Cox Plate after having backed this horse at 100 to 1, I may not be sided off Nobbies. I, 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 may be, I may be in the Bahamas for the next two years. You'll be doing this show by yourself. Also. Why did you back it at 100 to 1? Give uh, us the background. Well, because it's an O'Brien horse. I found out it was coming. Uh, it's got decent form. Uh, and, yeah, I found out it was coming before most people did and coming for the Cox Plate. There's only so many runners in the Cox Plate. On you being an O'Brien horse, they put it in the Cox Plate. So it's now... $8, so I'm just waiting for everything to go wrong, David, which I'm sure it will. Now, let's just uh, on balance here before we leave this race and go to the guineas. Uh, it was a group one. Bowen to Claire ran second at $71 and just fine ran way below expectations. So just keep that... Don't start knocking alligator blood. I, I'm, Don't I'm, start doing it. I'm not, but I'm just, I'm you just are. stating the facts. Oh, like... Who ran you, second? Bowen to Claire. Yeah, but... I mean, like Alligator Blood, as Jeff Simpson pointed out, did have to cart the field up. Mm. I thought it was a spectacular win. But, like, you've just got to believe your eyes. And that, that horse, can it win a Cox Plate? Before yesterday, I would have said no. Now, I say maybe. Just fine, uh, who was the favourite, uh, performed badly, was beaten a long way out. Uh, nothing found uh, vet-wise and uh, stable, uh, perplexed or puzzled as well. Just before I go, Alligator Blood, seven Group 1 wins. 
uh, Nature Strip 9, very elegant 11, puts things in perspective when you see Winks, 25-1 wins. I mean, you just got to keep... The the longer it goes after she's retired, the more I respect her. When I keep looking at some of these stats, they're just astonishing. At the time... How many did Black Caviar win? uh, Was it 25? No, group ones. I'm not sure. Why ask me? See, you put me on the spot. <laughs> this is yeah. how many times you reckon you've put me on the spot in this show, going back five or six years, well, every still, second minute. And there's still about five minutes to go, <laughs> so I'm going to think fast now. Let's go to the Guineas race nine. Militarised two sixty was the favourite. So Griff looks to sool it up from here now. About three quarters of a length in front of Limburg. A length and a half. Stapati is right there. Peels out three wide with every chance. Then came V8 behind them from King Colorado. Then came Vedat as they run the corner. Rock Empire, the longest yard under pressure. And then Sheelite. Stapati moves up on the outside, but Griff had a kick in the locker. And V8 is getting out as well. Griff kicked at the 200 metres. About a length in front of V8 and Stapati. It's still Griff by a length of V8. Griff is holding V8 for now. Griff wanders about. It's still in front, though. And Griff wins a dramatic finish. Griff has won it from V8s to Party King Colorado. Will we hear more? Behind them, Vedad in company with Little Bro, Southport Tycoon and Militarized. Never seen. Then Centify. Next to finish, Rock Empire, the longest yard in company with Limburg, Copacabana and Wolfie at the tail of the field. He's a cult by trapeze artist who found it uh, a little tough in Sydney or found it hard to get going. But once he arrived in Melbourne, away he went, uh, winning the, the Exford Plate, then winning the Stud Stakes and Group 1 yesterday with the with the Caulfield Guineas, Ben Mellum riding. Uh, the finish looked dramatic when it wobbled out, Griff, and seemed to impede V8, but uh, there was no protest. Uh, they had a look at the video and were happy not to protest. Yeah, Ben Mellum was hit with a 10-meeting ban following that winning ride. It was really dramatic in the final stages, wasn't it? He said he actually pleaded not guilty in the steward's room, just explaining it. Griff was simply spooked by something, you know, approaching the winning post, and there was really nothing he could do, which, to be honest, is hard to argue with. Um, what to make a militarise? Uh, disappointing if you backed him yesterday, but I wouldn't be throwing out your tickets if you're on him in a cox plate. Uh, finished strongly, and from where he was, couldn't have really done much more, I don't think. Two major factors. He missed the start, uh, was a long way back in what was a slowly run race. The time of 137.97, that's very slow on a good track. So, I, and I agree with you, Reed Cox Plate. Let's go to the... Uh, Last of the Group 1s, this was the last race, and we've discussed Amelia's Jewel. She was the favourite. This was a heartbreaking finish for one stable. Pride of Jenny tried to get away before the corner. Three lengths, Savannah Cloud amenable. They were followed by attrition. Amelia's Jewel brought to the middle of the track and then came here to shock out of the whip from Antino and then Charterhouse. Pride of Jenny at the 200 with amenable and then came attrition further back. Amelia's Jewel, Pride of Jenny at the 150, then amenable attrition and then came Antino on the outside. It's a big finish in the Turak. Antino moves up to attrition. Antino and attrition, they hit the line. Attrition or Antino, nearly a dead heat. Attrition's kick strongly, photo third, banker's choice and also amenable. They were followed by pinstripe pride of Jenny, Amelia's jewel. I don't think she wanted to be here today. The inevitable corner pocket then pounding, see you in heaven, Bel Toro. Here to shock Savannah Cloud, Charter House and at the tail of the field is ironclad. It's a photo and attrition kicks and wins. Bo Mertens for Mitch Friedman. Yeah, both first group ones beating Antino. Oh, so close, but, you know, so far.
Oh, I thought Antenna had it chopped to bits there in the final stages, but it was a terrific run from, from the wide barrier too, but it was just out-muscled, I guess, in the last sort of 50, 70 metres. We probably would have had Mitch Friedman on this show this morning, first group one, but for one reason, he's off running a marathon, 42 kilometres, if you don't mind. I don't know... How long would it take you to cover 42 kilometres? Take me a week, I reckon. But I do know the Black Caviar 115 Group 1 race. <laughs> talk to you tomorrow. See you, David. See you, folks. Hope you have a good day. We'll talk again soon. Bye-bye.